0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk about um, a lot of a lot of different things. Um, mostly the 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 uh, parshas in, in the second part of, uh, of of the book of Exodus of Sefer Shmos, uh, specifically zeroing in on uh, Shuma and Tetzave and uh, Pekude and Vayakel, um, which are all the different parshas dealing with the um, the the accounts of the. Of the Besa Migdash, of the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, and everything like that. Because there's an interesting flow to these parshas, and I just want to kind of give you my, my, uh, my understanding of them, um, how they proceed, and there's a lot of amazing depth in them, and um, hopefully we can get into some of that. And also, to talk about more specifically um, just, the, just the surprising nature of life. And um, and and my my my, my favorite uh, my favorite topic maybe actually this is going to combine two of my favorite topics which is uh, coincidences and the, the letter vav um, so you'll see a whole a whole presentation a, a formal presentation of that you know from, from the standpoint of the Torah here um, I, I, I had uh, I had another amazing coincidence um, happen to me uh, this week. I, I was just in London for the week and um one of the things that I, I really, really enjoyed there was um uh drinking tea. I drink a lot of tea. And uh there's there's a type of tea, a brand of tea, which is which is uh it, like in America it's like Lipton called PG Tips which if you're from England that's like saying You know, there's this hamburger place in America called McDonald's. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like the most common thing in the world there, you know. It's like, but they don't really have it here in in America. And so, but it's like, you know, like a national, like icon kind of type thing there. Anyway, so I got back on Monday and on, I think it was Tuesday morning, I was sort of thinking, wow, you know, I, I really have to get myself some PG Tips tea. Right. Because I was really enjoying that. And um, and I just kind of and I just kind of wondered, like, well, where am I going to get that? Where am I going to find that? Like, you know, because they don't sell it like Ralph's is huge. You know, like one one of the things when I moved from New York to L.A. that I was amazed by was how was the supermarkets? I mean, the supermarkets here in Los Angeles are like country clubs, you know, like maybe they're like that in other parts of the country, like in Arizona and things like that. I don't know. But compared to New York, it's like, you know, you've got these little narrow aisles, you know, where it's sort of like, if you're going in one direction and a person's going in the opposite direction with their basket, like, good luck, you know? It's like, and and here it's sort of like, wow, you know, you can go golfing, seriously, you know, in the aisles, you know, like, you know, it's, it's crazy. And... um anyway so and and of course, that comes with large amounts of variety of different things that you can buy, but they don 't sell p g tips, and they sell like you know almost everything so so Tuesday morning the like a little later in the morning um, actually it was that at the afternoon of that day where I was thinking i' got to get some of this, but i don't know where I would go. Um, I was a little bit early for a meeting, and there was a gas station on the corner and um also um also I, I was one of one of my jobs uh, <laughs> one of my jobs was to bring back chocolate from from England and uh, I was supposed to bring back this brand uh, galaxy, or actually nothing was specifically requested, but I knew like uh, people like galaxy um, anyway uh at the airport, I bought some galaxy, but then those are like thin bars, and they're a little more expensive. And then the woman at the, uh, the, cash, the cashier said, oh, well, we're having a special on these. And she pointed to these giant blocks of chocolate from Cadbury, which are like a little uh, less fancy. But she said, we're having like a, this really great special on them. And it was just like these massive pieces of chocolate. So I just, she talked me into getting the, the, the giant blocks of Cadbury. Um, and when I brought them home, the question was, where's the galaxy? <laughs> so, so I thought, well, anyway, the kids were very happy because they, they liked that. But, so I was thinking also in the back of my mind, okay, galaxy, yeah, didn't necessarily mess that one up. Um, actually, you know, you can learn so much from the Torah. And uh, it's a bit of an aside, but it, 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 it ties in. You know, this week we're going to read about the golden calf. And one of the amazing little pieces, I'm going to paraphrase, I'll put it in my own words, but it's it's from the Gomorrah, um, is uh, Hashem says to Moshe, after the Jewish people, you know, do this giant, make this giant mistake um, with the golden calf, and, uh, and they say, uh, Hashem says, look, I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people, and I'm going to start over with you, Moshe. Right? And then Hashem says, now don't try to stop me. so Moshe hadn't said anything Moshe hadn't said anything but Moshe learned from the fact that Hashem said now don't try to stop me that he's supposed to try to stop him this is what the Gemara says and so then Moshe starts davening for Hashem to forgive the Jewish people and Hashem says okay I forgive So, so, so anyway before I left on this trip and I was sort of overwhelmed by this trip because I was going to there was a lot of speaking and traveling and, and all the rest and wasn 't sure how it was going to going to go and um, One of the last things my wife said was now don 't bring back presents for everyone." Ah. And I was like, oh, I'm supposed to bring back presents forever. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. How could I even have possibly not have that in the forefront of my mind? You know, I'd like to think I would have arrived at that. But I learned the fact that I was supposed to do that from Moshe and Hashem in the golden cap. So I'm saying, I'm saying to you that there are eminently practical lessons to be derived from this in terms of life. If you, if you really learn the Torah well, you know. So that was a very good thing that I made sure to... Get really nice presents for everyone, you know. So anyway, um, so I had this meeting, and this is, again, that morning I was thinking, where am I going to get some PG tips? And uh, there's this gas station right next to the office building, and I was like a little bit early, so I figured, well, you know, I'll just fill up with gas. That'll take five minutes, and then I'll be on time. And I walk into the, the little mini-mart area, and I see they've got a whole section of British chocolates. Like, this is a a gas station mini-mart, okay? Like, a whole line of them, like, ten different kinds, including galaxy bars. And I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe that. That's like, really, there they are. And then I walked away and got something else, and then I revisited it, and then something else catches my eye, a box of PG Tips tea. And I can't believe it. You know, and I've since been to a couple of other markets, big established markets out here. They absolutely don't have it. This little gas station had it. The morning I was thinking, where am I going to find it? So, anyway, if if you remember, we've I gave a whole talk. If you're interested in the meaning of coincidences, it's called it's online. It's called coincidences in you. What is Hashem trying to tell us? But just to kind of sum it up, I can't. Uh, I can't tell you that whole thing without telling you what to do with these things because everyone, everyone always asks the same question. You know, when 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 things like that happen, they say, "What are the odds?" or "What am I supposed to do with this?" or you know like they so 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 the thing is, I I heard in English an expression um, that coincidences are Hashem waving hello to you, right? Which which I liked, but. I thought, wait, there's more to it than that. That means Hashem is alerting you that He's here. But Hashem is always here. So, so it's got to mean more than that. Because, whatever. So, in Perkei Avos, it's chapter 3, Mishnah number 18. Yeah, um, Perkei Avos, chapter 3, uh, Mishnah number 18. Um, I'll read from it. It says, this is um, Rabbi uh, Akiva speaking. Uh, he used to say, Beloved is man, meaning men and women, mankind. Beloved is man, for he was created in God's image. It is indicative of a greater love that it was made known to him that he was created in God's image, as it says, quote, for in the image of God he made man. Um, and then it goes on. Beloved are the people of Israel, for they are described as children of the omnipresent. It is indicative of a greater love that it was made known to them. That they are children to Hashem, uh, That they are children. That they are described as children of the omnipresent, as it says, quote, "You are children to Hashem your God." And these are pesukim from the Torah. And it goes on. Uh, the, the Mishnah goes on. So, in other words, God is running the entire world. But what's so awesome is when He makes it known to you that He's running the world. When he makes it known to you that he's involved in your life. That's the meaning of coincidences. Is that God, so to speak, goes out of his way to show you that he's there. Which means, okay, so then that's that's pretty solid, but so therefore what? You know, again, you need more. So, so, so therefore, that's called an esratzon, a time of favor. Because if God is going out of his way to demonstrate to you his closeness, that's called a time of favor. So, what do you do at an Esratzon? You pray. You have to pray. Because if God is going out of his way to show you that he's close and that the gates are open, so to speak, then you have to use that as an opportunity to pray for, for the fixing of the world, for all your needs, for your community's needs, your family's needs, the, the whole world's needs. So, 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 the simple answer is, when anything coincidental happens to you, pray. Just take that moment to pour out your heart. That's, that's the... That's the end of that. Okay, so so let's talk about. Let's see. There's a whole. I, I'm at a crossroads here. I I want to go right into the meat into it. Should I just go right into that? Yeah, that's all right. All right. So let's let's develop this further. We'll skip some stuff. Maybe we'll get back to it. Maybe we won't. Um so this is this is a very kind of like I think a very like kind of like heavenly Torah basically. So um so so it goes like this. You see, you see we have a progression. We have Truma Truma is the blueprint of the Beis of the Mishkan and it, it, it's it's that's the, the that's see the the whole the whole um, tabernacle in the desert, the Mishkan, was a microcosm of the world and a microcosm of 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 a human being. So, and all all the all the sages say that. And but it's a vision of perfection. You know. So it's interesting that it's simultaneously a vision of the perfected world. And at the same time, a vision of the perfected person. And there's a great sort of like, kind of story that goes to, to illustrate that point. Um, kind of a famous story, you probably heard it, but it's it's, it's so simple and it's so good. Which is a, a, a father is kind of just trying to relax, you know, he's very, very tired. And um, he's reading the newspaper and the young child really wants to play with the with the father, and the father is just, you know, just exhausted. So he figures, let me give the child some busy work, and, and that way he'll be occupied and I can just rest a little bit. So he takes a page out of the newspaper, and he makes a jigsaw puzzle for him. He tears it into a, a lot of different pieces, and, um, and it's, a, it, it's a map of the world. And he tells the child, you know, when you put this all together, then uh, I'll play with you. And, you know, it's, it's very hard to do. What does a child know where all the different pieces of the world goes? I mean, for goodness sakes. So, in a short period of time, the child comes back and it's all done. And the father's amazed and says, how, how were you able to do that? And he says, because on the other side, there was a picture of a person. And when I put the picture of the person together, the entire world fell into place. So, in other words, when we correct ourselves... We're also, remember, the Talmud says if you save one person, it's like you save the whole world. Each person is a, a microcosm of the entire universe. You know, I, Rabbi Sutton said, and there are many, 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 many teachings on this point, but just to give you one little tiny inkling, we have ten fingers because they are ten spheres out. So in other words, like, the map, the cosmic map of the universe is reflected, actually, in even the, our physicality, even the shape of our bodies. So, and of course, you know, the the, a person is in the shape of the, the, the holiest name of God, the head, the yud key vav ke, the head is the Yud, and the, and the, 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 the upper frame of the body, the, the, the chest and the arms is the Hay, and then your, your trunk, your spine is the Vav, and then your, your, your lower half also forms a Hay. Right? So that's men and women, Yud and and He and Vav and He. So we, we're made to spell out the name of God and and so so it's it's understandable that that the Mishkan, the tabernacle, would simultaneously be a a miniature of the perfected universe and of also the perfected human being, because a person is a world at the same time. So and the world is like a person. So you know so, so anyway so that's our, that's our initial vision that's our initial vision and also there's another very striking parallel between a person and, and the Mishkan and both being worlds because there's a debate in the Gomorrah as to when was the world created and some people say the first day of Tishrei and of course that's when Rosh Hashanah is and so that's what we celebrate actually it's the sixth day of creation everyone should know that's when human beings were made So, the first day of Tishrei was the world created, or the first day of Nisan was the world created? There's a debate. But isn't it interesting that the way we observe it, on the first day of Tishrei, we say human beings were created, and on the first day of Nisan, that's when the tabernacle was finished. So, again, you have this parallel where where the creation of the world, the creation of human beings, all of the overlaps, and how they actually are all accounted for in in our calendar. It's, it's, It's quite amazing, actually. Um so again it begins it begins this whole discussion in the Torah of 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 the Mishkan of the Tabernacle and all the different um subsections begins with a blueprint of perfection because it's not just it's not just how the world is organized but it's how everything is in its proper place okay so so next you have Tetzaveh, which is, which is our role in it. And the main discussion in, 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 in that Parsha, the following Parsha, is the clothing that we wear. Or rather I should say the clothing that the Kahanim, the priests, um, who attended to the services within the tabernacle, the Mishkan, what they wore. Okay, but you have to understand that we're all priests. Because Hashem says that we are a nation of priests. That so we're all kahanim, on some level, all of us. Um, and I saw in the name of the Rashba or the Rashbam, something very beautiful, a Kavana, something holy to have in mind when you wash in the morning. That when you wash your hands, the, the kahanim would wash their hands before they did Avoda, before they did their work in the Mishkan. So all of us are to have in mind that when we wash our hands in the morning, we're like Kahanan, getting ready to go out into the world, into the Mishkan, to do our holy work. You know, because that's all of us. And there's some, just sort of like, just a tiny subset to this discussion, which is that, interestingly, clothes can reveal or clothes can conceal. Clothes can disguise you. Like, for instance, imagine you're going... Undercover, you're a Mossad agent, you go undercover as an Arab, right? So now the clothing that you're wearing is a disguise. It's it's meant to conceal who you are. But you have... um, It's funny, you know, clothes, like if a, a person dresses immodestly, you can reveal a lot of skin, but you're actually concealing who you really are. So even sometimes in the context of Revelation you can conceal because if, if you're holy and we're holy and you're revealing too much, that's actually a misrepresentation of who you are, even as you're showing more of yourself. So it's, that's an interesting kind of um, paradox or irony, if, if you will. So, um, so anyway, the word in Hebrew for begged is the same shorish for the word in Hebrew for betray, because again, clothes can reveal or can conceal. They can they can just say who you are, or they can betray who you are, um, like in revealing too much, for instance. Um, now, now the idea of of, of 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 this clothing is, and why it comes after we're talking about truma, parshas truma why we're talking about the vision of the perfected world, why we're talking about our clothes, is because it's revealing who it is we are and what our role in the world is, um, which is to spread light and to reveal godliness in the world. And so so the big day kahuna, the, the, the clothing of the kahanam, are meant to express our essence, who we are on the inside, to express it on the outside. And again, you have another sort of interesting um, linguistic kind of like um, crossroads here, which is um, contrasting Hebrew and English. In English, the word face comes from the word facade. Facade means false front. So like in Disneyland, you'll see like they'll have like, you know, like a, a picture of an old tiny place, but behind it, it's just sticks and stones. There's no real store behind it. Um, for instance, or on a movie lot is probably a better example. Um, so that's called a facade, a false front. So in this, in this construct, um, in the English um, construct, your face is actually a mask that's meant to cover who you are. Whereas in Hebrew, the word face is panim, which comes from the word panemius, which means your insides, which means your face is supposed to be an accurate reflection of who you are inside. And so there's a correlation, and Chazal discusses this in more detail in terms of the construct of the holy ark, the golden ark where the where the um, the, the tablets the Luchos were kept. It says that it was gold on the inside and gold on the outside, and the sages say that that's how has to, a person has to be: that their outside should reflect what their inside is, and that it should be like pure gold. You know that it should be, you know, a very refined and, and beautiful expression. So, the, the idea that our face, panim, correlates with the word paninius, which is our insides, is a very nice thing, that our face should be a reflection of who we are inside. And, and, um, and so, that's the idea of, 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 of the, of the big day kahuna, that, that we're all kahanim, that we're all priests, and that our clothes are reflecting what our essence is, which is to bring light into the world. Okay. Now, Let's tie it back to this idea of... of um, okay, so now you have uh, the, the end of Shmos, which is Vayakhelm um, and Pukude. And this is actually the point that I wanted to make before. The point that I decided not to make, that, that's everything you just heard for the last five minutes. So... <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but I ended up saying it. But anyway, hopefully that's that's helpful. I I think it's cool. Anyway, so anyway, but here's where it gets, I think, deeper. So, so, so in 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 these two last parshas of Shmos, what's happening is Moshe Rabbeinu is giving an account. Okay, and the idea here that I'd like to suggest is now you have to understand, like, here's a vision for the whole here's a vision for our role in the whole, and now let's break it down to all the individual parts. Because that's what Moshe is doing right now. He's talking about where all the money of the Jewish people went in terms of making this structure. He gives an account. So what this is saying to me is an understanding that every single person has to understand that every piece of the whole is of the utmost importance. And that everything counts, basically. And you know, I once heard Reb Shlomo. We were walking together. I I was fortunate enough to send a, spend a Pesach with him. Um, in uh, in Florida, and we were walking down the, the 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 main boulevard there. I think it's called Lincoln. And um, and I heard him say something very special. I uh, I remember actually. Uh, someone had waved, and I waved back. And then, I think he said, asked me who that was, and I said, oh, I said, I just have a policy that if anyone... I said, I don't know who that was, but if anyone waves at me, I always wave back. And he said, it's a good policy. <laughs> I remember that. But but here's what I remember him saying, and it was just it was me and him, and it was one other person. I don't remember who the other person was, and we were just kind of walking down the sidewalk. He said, um, he said in the name of Rabbi Nachman, that... That, that Rabbi Nachman had said that if he could go to every single place in the world and meet every single person in the world and read every book in the world, that he would see that you could see a little bit the face of God. Right? Humanly speaking, God obviously doesn't have a face, but that 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 always stayed with me. If you could go to every place in the world, see every place in the world and read every book in the world and meet every person in the world, you would see a little bit the face of God. I always liked that very much. But it shows you, anyway, just to continue with this thought, that when Moshe Rabbeinu is giving an account of where the money went, that, that every single piece in the Mishkan has importance. And in our life, remember, because when we're talking about the Mishkan, we're talking about reality itself, the perfected version of reality. How every, everything has its place and everything counts. Okay. But let's, let's go deeper still. There's a very interesting thing that the Medrash records at the beginning of Pakudeh. The Medrash says the following. People started saying, and this is just incredible to me. This is incredible to me. People, some people, I don't know who said it, but some people said, looked at Moshe, Rabbeinu, Moses, and they said, the back of his neck is getting kind of fat. Meaning, he's gaining some weight, which means this is all contained within the back of his neck is getting kind of fat. Meaning, he's eating pretty well. Meaning, you know all that money that went to the Mishkan? He's been pocketing our money. Okay? So they accused him of theft. So they say that as a result, Moshe felt a need to give an account for where everything was going. Okay? Now, now it gets more involved. It gets interesting because, according to the Medrash, there was one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels of silver that Moshe forgot where they went. Okay. Now Hashem made him forget, but then Moshe remembers where they went, and where they went is is it's, it's a fascinating subject. And actually, I, I wish I had had a chance to to revisit um, Rabbi Moshe Wolfson in the Imunasitech on this. He has some amazing comments on this. And working with the numbers and gematria is amazing, amazing things on this. I'm not going to touch on that, but I'm going to go in my own direction and and, and say something else. But I recommend if you want to hear more very, very deep Torahs on this subject that you look there. Um, So anyway, Moshe remembers where they went. Now now listen to this, okay? They went to the Vavim, Okay, vavim. What are vavim? Vavim are hooks, and um, they were made out of silver. And they were probably the smallest part. I think they were the smallest part of all of the different pieces of the mishkan. And vav, interestingly, means a hook. What they what, what they what they were meant was um, to hook the curtains onto the poles of the of the mishkan. Okay. And these were meant for the exterior of the Mishkan. So if you think about it, it's very interesting. It's the smallest thing, and it's on the outside. right? So if you think about it, this is the, if you will, the most mysterious part. Not, not hashkafically, not philosophically the most mysterious part of the Mishkan, but in terms of its obscurity. Right, because it's on the outside of the Mishkan, and it's the smallest part. You understand? So, so vav vav is a Hebrew word. It's not just a letter. It's a Hebrew word which means hook. Now, what's interesting is also grammatically speaking, the letter vav is also a hook. It's a conjunction, and it's meant to hook two parts of a sentence. So, in in a. a and it's, it's an object, and it's a grammatical construct, the, the letter vav. And also, if you look at the way the letter vav is shaped, it looks like a hook. It looks like a pruning hook, because it's a straight line with a little tiny curve on the top, you know? So it's very interesting. Anyway, so Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that this silver had gone for the vavim. that's plural for vav, for the hooks. And then he remembered that that's where they went, so he was able to account for that for that sum of money. Now I want to say something based on that. I want to explain that. okay so so I think now remember, again, we're talking about an account of the tabernacle now we we took pains to express the fact that the tabernacle. Represents a vision of the perfected universe. It's a microcosm of the world. And now he's giving Moshe Rabbeinu is giving an account of how everything fits together, where all the different resources went. Okay, everyone have that in mind. All right. And now Moshe is mystified. Where did the vavs go? Where did the connections go? Where did the ands go? He didn't know. And then he remembered. And that's where they went. Okay, so now listen to it like this to make it very real because I'm talking about our lives right now. As esoteric as the introduction might seem. I'm talking about me and you every day. So imagine someone sends you to Ralph's. Okay? To buy some apples. So you go to, you go to Ralph's. And while you're at Ralph's, you meet a friend that you haven't seen in years. Okay? So, you see, that's the bub. That's, that's the and. You, you go... You, why did you go to Ralph's? To get apples, right? But in retrospect, why did you go to Ralph's? To get apples and to see this person who I haven't seen in years. In the beginning, it's not revealed to you what the and is in your life. When you go on a journey, when you wake up in the morning, do you know how many vuvs there are waiting for you? Do you know how many ands there are? How many hooks there are waiting to attach you to other events that are absolutely unplanned in your life? And at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of our journey, at the beginning, you don't know You don't know, because it hasn't been revealed to you. Why didn't Moshe know where the vavs were? Because at the beginning, it's not revealed to us what all the connections are. But in retrospect, after the fact, why did you go to Ralph's? Oh, well, I went to Ralph's because, obviously, I had to get apples, but even more importantly, I had to meet that person who I haven't seen in years. Looking back on it, it becomes revealed. After you've given the account... After you look at the superstructure of the blueprint of the perfected universe, you realize why you had to go in that direction. And so And so this is this is you know and and, 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 and the funny thing is, you know what we call that VOV? You know what we call that VOV when it happens at Ralph's at the supermarket? A coincidence. Right? We, why was I going to the gas station? I didn't need gas. I, I, I usually, I had made a great custom out of running out of gas in like canyon highways. You know what I mean? It's like, I had like half a tank of gas. I never get gas when I've got a half a tank of gas. So so was I getting, was I getting gas or was I going to get PG tips? Right? But that's That's the love. That's the love. You know, so, only in retrospect is it revealed to us why we had to move in a particular direction. So, so, so Hashem should bless us with really good vavs. You know, really, honestly, that, that, you know, I'll tell you something. I, uh, I was always impressed, or I should say, I'm always impressed by people who, are, who, who go to places like MIT and Caltech for the reason that if you ask them a question, like a math question, say, there's only one answer, really, for that, for that, for that question. You know, it's, it's like 7.4359. And you can't BS... 7.14359, it's either, that's, either, that's either it or it's not it, you know what I mean? So the exactitude of it is thrilling to me, it's actually thrilling, that's why I actually Torah study, when you see how the, the musical strata, and the numerical strata, and the ethical strata, and the linguistic strata, how all of them simultaneously complement each other perfectly, it's awesome, it's absolutely awesome. But that level of exactitude, especially if you've grown up in more the social science, uh, science where, where you can give a rambling answer on anything, it's like, all right, give them a B B+. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, there's, it's a very nice check and balance. And so if I were to ask you, on, on the level of MIT or Caltech, what are you doing with the rest of your day? There's only one answer. There's only one answer to that if you want to be accurate. I haven't got the foggiest idea. And you could be one of these people with appointments planned out to 15-minute sections. You know? And there's only one accurate answer to what are you doing with the rest of your day. I've got no idea. Right? You can tell me what you're planning on doing. (laughs) But, you know, the very famous thing: man plans and God laughs, right? So So what do we know? What do we know? It, it, it's funny because, because the the quest for a, a exactness or exactitude, if that's actually a word, actually leads us into the mystery of of not knowing anything which is actually the more accurate, honest level of awareness. Which means that we're able to clear our mind of all the garbage, and we become open vessels for, for the next meeting with the next human being, which is the next world. Because we just said, every single person is a world. You know, Rabbi Shlomo hugged everybody, everybody, everybody. Why? Because it's sort of like, there's a piece of God, and another piece of God, and another piece of God, and another piece of God. If you think about it, how could there be any response other than hugging someone when you see them? I mean, there's really, actually, nothing else makes sense. So, I mean, but, you know, Rav says wrote a very interesting essay called The Holiness of Atheism. Which sounds kind of like shocking, because atheism is the denial of God. So how can you say anything is holy about that? It seems to be the opposite of holiness. But his, his, um, his thesis was that atheism, that a person who is an atheist doesn't believe in anything. So what they've accomplished is, is that they've knocked out all of the erroneous, all the incorrect concepts of God, and now they're just a step away from the truth. Because they've cleared the table of all the junk and all the garbage. You know, i I'll give you a slightly different articulation of that. It's funny, it's like I, I gave this talk in a, a shul yesterday. And someone came up to me and just was had a big philosophical question. And I was trying my best to answer and no, no, nothing, 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 nothing. Anyway, somehow this, this story, they heard this story and they were like, ah. So, so it's kind of in keeping with the rough cook teaching that, that I just mentioned, which is, someone came to a Rebbe, I forgot which one, and said, I don't believe in God for this reason, and I don't believe in God for that reason, and I don't believe in God for this reason, and the Rebbe said, I also don't believe in God. And the person was shocked. And... The Rebbe said, No, the God that you don't believe in, I also don't believe in. (laughs) Right? So, you know, a lot of times people have very crazy ideas of who Hashem is. I remember, like, Rabbi Green uh, came to town one time, and he said something that made a big impression on me, which is, he said, God is in a great mood. God is doing great. He's doing fantastic. (laughs) And I thought, wow, you know, because somehow, you know, we tend to, well, you know, everything's so messed up, and this and that, and, you know, we, we've got all these kind of, like, ideas, you know. Now, by the way, in, in terms of Torah, we do have the idea of the, the concept of the Shekhinah being in exile with the Jewish people, right? So, God's presence being, so, there is that concept, that, that concept does kind of exist. But that's already the Shekhinah, which is sort of like an, an emanation or, or a manifestation of an aspect of God. But Hashem himself, Hashem himself is doing fantastic. You know, so, so, so it's, you know, it, so often we, we walk down the street just imagining God just got, is just kind of got this frown on his face and just shaking his head and going, you know, uh, you know, when are they going to get it together, you know? And it's sort of like, that's not it. God is in a great mood. So, that's, that's an important thing, I think. I think. And just to go further with that thought. You see, when people try to understand life, or certainly Torah, or reality, all the above, I guess it's all the same thing. Um, but especially in the context of Torah study, People make a very big mistake, which is they think that there's a direct correlation between levels of intellect and proper understanding of Torah. And the smarter I am, the more I'm going to be able to understand the text. And if I were only smarter, I'd be able to understand pshat, which means the basic, the basic thing that the text is saying. And it's not true. And I heard this from Rabbi Green. Because brains are important, and brains will get you a certain distance, But that's all. It just gets you to a certain distance. At the next level, a person has to refine their meetups, meaning to say their personality. They have to have a refined personality in order to go further in terms of understanding what the Torah is saying. Otherwise, what they end up doing is projecting their own inner junk onto the verses of the Torah. So if they're a very angry person, they're going to see anger in 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 the text. And they're not going to fully understand what it is that's being communicated to us. So a person has to understand that there is a God, that God is good, and that God, whatever God is doing is for the best for us. Unless they have that as a fundamental framework, they'll never understand what the Torah is actually saying. No matter how smart they are. In fact, they, their, their, their intellect will actually boomerang against them. Because then they'll actually find reasons to, to not only convince themselves, but to convince others, in very persuasive ways, what the Torah isn't saying. <laughs> and and um, I'll give you an example of that. Um, well, actually, the opposite, I should say. The, 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 the more perfected version of this. Which is, I believe this was the Rab. So he was known as, well, not known as, but he was you know one of the phenomenal intellects of you know the last you know few hundred years, and and he was known for his mastery of incredible, incredibly complicated um, you know Talmudic concepts. By the way, there there are a few there are a few stories about him that are great, and and then I'll get to this thing about um, the the rabbi he used to ask questions, but just to tell you some really good things, you know I I. I I heard actually, it was a, I think in the name of one of the Greeks, this idea that I like, which is that if, um, that often, not, not all the time, because there are things that are counterintuitive, but often this, the, the, the sign of something being true is that after you hear it, it should sound obvious. Right? That, that, that was an interesting thought. So based on that, listen to this story. The brisket had, had sort of broken down in a phenomenally complex piece of Gomorrah and made it very intelligible. And he gave it over, and one of his students heard it and said, that's obvious. Right? And then he said back to him, was it obvious before I said it? <laughs> <laughs> Which I really appreciate. I love that, actually. I love that. Um, and um, another thing that I heard, I'm pretty sure it was him, was he had met, you know, he was around the time of World War I, which was a big, you know, a lot of uh, Jews left um, from Kite, um, became unreligious after World War I, and, you know, it was a you know, very turbulent time in world history, obviously, in Jewish history also. Anyway, he had met one of his former students uh, who was no longer religious, and the student said to him, I have so many questions. And he said, listen, I'm happy to answer all of your questions. But then listen to this. He said, but are these questions you had before you stopped becoming religious or after you stopped becoming religious? And what that means is, is that sometimes we make a certain decision in our lives for whatever reason. And now we have questions, but they're not real questions. These, these, they, they mask themselves as questions. But they're actually justifications for our behavior. They're no longer questions. And that's a very deep insight into in, into human nature. Um, so anyway, this is I just want to say that, yeah that that you when you said that the, you learn more that you don't necessarily understand the Torah more. The proof of that is actually in a tape that. It says on page four sixty five. Okay? It says, you um, shall speak to the wise hearted people who I have invested with the spirit of wisdom. Yeah. So, so Hashem invested the wisdom in the people who already were vessels to receive it. Right, and it's very interesting that he uses the word heart there wise hearted people. Yeah. Which Which usually the heart correlates with the emotions. And so the fact that they had refined their they were wise hearts, meaning they had refined their emotions. Is is yeah. That's a very nice. That's a very nice support. Yeah. Um. So, so the the reason why I brought up the Brisker Rav, I'm pretty sure it was him, was because of this this one point. Um. Which is that at a certain point, I again just to set the context that. That, that, that sometimes one's intellect can, can boomerang against themselves. You know, there's certain people, by the way, who get low SAT scores because they're too smart. You know, this is a, a known phenomenon. And you think, well, that, how could that be? You're too smart to get a good score on the SAT? And the reason is because you've got multiple choice, and you figure out how each answer actually could be right because you're so smart. You know, so then now every answer is right. So how do you pick the right answer? Because now you, you're through your genius, you've made the, all the answers right. So that's actually that's actually a a, a a that's been an observed thing. So along those lines, the brisker Rav said had a rav and I, I don't remember who it was, and he said to him the following: I, I have a a, a meaning a a, a a question of Jewish practice, and. Just tell me yes or no. Don't tell me why. Just tell me if I can do it or if I can't do it. Because if you tell me why I can do it, I will use that reason to show you why I can't do it. (laughs) And if you tell me why I can't do it, I will use your very reason to show you why I can do it. Sounds like arguing with teenagers, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, but anyway, anyway. So he said, "Just so he was so smart, but part of his wisdom, right? It wasn't just intellect; it was wisdom. Part of his wisdom was that he shielded himself from what he understood were the possible negative aspects of his great intellect." I believe it was the Briskerov. I believe it was. I believe it was. Um. Uh, so. So, uh, anyway, anyway, so, so we'll wrap it up, but just, um, just to, just for us to understand, you know, you know, if you look at life on the blueprint level, I just want to just go touch back on this idea, how fascinating it is, Moshe didn't know where the Vovs were, and then he remembered. Like, Hashem didn't allow him. Like, Hashem made him forget where the vavs were. And then Hashem reminded him where the vavs are. Right? So, this is um, a medrash on the beginning of Pekudei. Okay? There were seven, 1,775 shekels of silver that were unaccounted for. And they said Moshe had stolen it. And then, because he, he didn't remember where they went and then after the fact he remembered that they went for the vavs um, so, yeah, so why, why make him forget right so this is what I'm saying on a, on a very deep level what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that this is this is talking about if you, if you think of the mishkan as a blueprint mm-hmm. of reality as a blueprint of the perfected universe right that in the beginning we don't know what the connections are We don't know why we're going to Ralph's. We don't know the vovs that await us during our day. But then, it's shielded from us. Just like that knowledge was shielded from Moshe, from Hashem, initially. But then, in retrospect, he remembered. Then, in retrospect, we look back on our lives, and we realize, oh, that's why I went there. It wasn't for apples. It may have also been for apples, but it was to see that person. It wasn't for gas. It was for the PG tips. You know, so so if you think about this, it's a very, I think, potent description of what our lives are, of how filled with mystery every single day of our lives is. And anyone who's gotten to a place of thinking that they're stuck, they don't understand how fluid the nature and the material of our lives actually are you know, and how much of our day is actually filled with with this, like, giant X factor. And and it's a, it's a it, it should be a liberating thought. It should be a liberating thought. Because then we can prize everything that happened. You know, when I first started going to Minyan, I'm a lady. I was so happy. I got the lady Aaliyah every single time. This is during the week. And then, It hit me, I'm the only lady in the minion. Right? And so, that day that it hit me that I was the only lady, and then I was like, well, it's no big deal. That day, there was all of a sudden another lady showed up, and he got the Iliad. And I thought to myself, you know something, just because something happens every single day, it doesn't make it any less of a gift. You know? And, you know, I'm... That's what it means, by the way. You know, we take the words taking for granted. We take that concept for granted. <laughs> we don't, we've forgotten what taking for granted actually means because it's sort of like, it's such a bummer of an expression. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, taking for granted. You know what I mean? It's like just, you know, the, the, the sooner you can get it out of your ears, like, the better. But that's what it actually means. It means that there are miracles happening in front of our face. And we're not seeing them. That's, that's, that's what it means. That's what it means. So, again, Hashem should bless us with the best vavs. The best vavs. You know, it's interesting because they were made out of silver. Kesef is the Hebrew word for silver. Keseth shares the same word as kesui, which means to yearn. Right? So, it's like these hooks, these vavs, And really, on a deep level, it's also tied with yearning. Because as long as it's a mystery, as long as it's this fluid aspect of our lives, we can yearn for what that next connection is going to be. So, please, 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 with all the yearning, with all the yearning that all the Jewish people in the whole world has done for the perfection of the universe, please, Hashem, just just fix it all, and let's get to Israel fast.